You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 370, the age of the selfie, when photographs lead to punch-ups, cease and desist, Aerosmith versus Donald Trump, and children's toys for adults, and why Juliet keeps a set of Lego at her office. It's all coming up after the Beach Boys and I can hear music. Much as it's great to be here right now, you know where I should be? I'm going to tell where you. Where should you be? I'm going to tell you. I should be in Windsor enjoying Brian Wilson, Wilson, Al Jardine and Blondie Chaplin playing the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds and Greatest Hits, the very show that you, Juliet Harris, went to in yes, Brighton a couple of years ago. I did. But instead of that, it got cancelled during the week. So oh, no, I, I'm why? Did they say why? Well, it says cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> uh, will anybody ever cancel due to foreseen circumstances? That, that Sorry, we shouldn't up. have been on this, guys, but we weren't. A source, let's say, close to Windsor Racecourse, because that's where it was being held, mm-hmm. um, they've indicated to me that actually... Like almost unbelievably poor ticket sales were a mm, major I, I thought that was what you were mm. going to say. I mean, the problem is, is that this is a show that has been toured for the mm. last two years. I do wonder, given that you're not a million miles away from London, yes. if everybody that's wanted to see this show has, in fact, already seen it. It was a, it was a full um, afternoon and evening. There was uh, mm, Heather mm. Small from M People, uh, Heaven 17, and 
I, I would have liked to have seen the Pointer Sisters. Mm, that's not a bad lineup. And then, and it's, it's all for thirty-five. No, um, thirty-five quid. But what prompted us to go, wanting to go and see it, was that they were doing a deal, which again indicates mm, low ticket perhaps sales. That was an indicator. Uh, yeah. uh, they were doing two for one, so it would have been seventeen pound fifty. Wow, which was incredibly. Bad, I mean, the, the 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 together the People Festival that I went to, mm. which had Brian Wilson headlining on the Saturday, that was something like fifty-five pounds, mm. I think. But still, how? we gone and um, unfortunately funnily enough that that festival was then cancelled um the next year in 2017 oh. after they couldn't get any top artists they couldn't get a headliner that they thought was decent enough mm-hmm. the previous year had been brian wilson on the saturday and swayed on the sunday and they oh. they they just decided mm-hmm. that they weren't gonna that it wasn't gonna happen really so with a heavy heart <laughs> from, mm. from 1968 number 24 in the states number 10 over here in the uk the beach boys and i can hear music Except mm. I can't uh, today <laughs> in, in that sense. I am, I am sorry, sorry for, for my loss. loss yes. Um, <laughs> welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode three hundred and seventy. I'm Terence Stackham, and after a noon, after an afternoon, uh, scoffing candy floss here and there on the south coast. It's Juliet Harris. Hello, yes, indeed. Some would say that I should be sweet enough, but I'm really oh. not. Although the sugar, the resultant sugar mm. high was extremely enjoyable. Um, I could have done with some during my five and a half hour long DJ gig last night, really. Perhaps that's the key. Um, all these uh, rock stars that, you know, get themselves into trouble with drugs and whatnot. Surely there is a, a, a cheery, uh, affordable alternative in candy floss, I would say. <laughs> now, now, Jules, I, I don't like having my photo taken very much. I, I never have. I'm a little bit... Um, and always have been a bit sensitive to light. Mm. So in photos, okay. if it's taken outdoors, I'm usually um, captured with my eyes kind of screwed up like I'm the most sort of short-sighted man in the world, a kind of latter-day Mr Magoo. Um, mm. For indoor photos, again, I fear flash photography. Same reason, I'm, I always blink. And in a group photo, I ruin it because there will be 10 people looking splendid and smiling at the <laughs> camera and one person, me, uh, looking like they're asleep. Um I'm also the world's most unphotogenic man. Um, even photos that catch me with my eyes open, I'm always caught with a. I always I can't seem to have a strange expression. It looks, I, it mm. looks like a deranged man has just wandered into the shot. I can't help it. It's just the way it is. Now, smart devices, of course, with cameras and phones, now mean that people take more photos than ever, and every tourist destination now is engulfed with people waving selfie sticks about. Um, Jules, you. You've discovered that the seemingly innocent pursuit of taking a selfie can even lead to fisticuffs. Yes, I very much enjoyed this story in the mm. summer. This summer has been a, a summer of, of many and various more <laughs> news stories, and uh, this one, uh, no exception. Like you, I'm not a, a huge fan of those type of things. Although listeners that follow me on social media will perhaps be aware of my my non my selfies that don't have myself in them. I like mm. to take pictures of my shirts, and I originally did it as a joke to send my friend a picture of, of the shirt I was wearing, and I take a picture of my shoulder and the side of my head, so you can't really see. <laughs> It's me, and um, and hence Terence's reference to my candy floss today. Mm. The picture that I put up was of me and a large piece of candy floss taken in a similar way. So, um, so I'm a fan of selfies not actually being in them. Um, <laughs> I wish, I wish these people had perhaps taken the same approach. This story in the Guardian. Um, 
Two tourist quests for a perfect selfie has caused a brawl at a Rome's Trevi fountain. <laughs> Fighting broke out after a 19-year-old woman from the Netherlands and a 44-year-old Italian-American woman wanted to take selfies at a prime spot in front of the monument at the same time. The incident happened on... I love the detail in this. The incident mm. happened on Wednesday evening, a time of day when the light makes the fountain a perfect backdrop. <laughs> what started as an exchange of words between the women became a physical fight and then their respective family members joined in. Eight people in this fight, we are told at some point. Neither of the women wanting to give, <laughs> to give away over the selfie spot. Uh, the newspaper La Republica reported eight people ended up becoming involved in the fight in front of what is described as, and I do like this as a description, startled onlookers. <laughs> yes. I mean, how are you? Startled onlookers in our own way. And the tourists only sustained bruises but were charged over violence. Um, last and, and, and I think you can go in various directions from this, really. You can go in a sort of a bad or self-centred tourist behaviour in general, really, in that the photo aspect, of course, as a society, we increasingly seem to live through our phones and to look at mm. phone screens all the time. And we've talked about this before, I think, with social media and YouTubers and bloggers and that sort of mm. thing, that their holiday became more about wanting to construct the perfect moment for social media and the reality is that they got arrested after a brawl <laughs> so, you know, the two don't really match also bad tourist behaviour in general mm. um, <laughs> last year Rome pledged a crackdown on bad behaviour involving the city's fountains imposing fines of up to 240 euros which is 215 pounds thanks Brexit for people caught <laughs> snacking or camping on the fountains pedestals dipping their feet in the water oh, going for a swim this is my favourite bit residents are particularly irked great word by tourists mm. who try to recreate the scene from Federico Fellini's film La Dolce Vita <laughs> in which the late Swedish actor um, Anita Ekberg wades into the fountain um, there was a brilliant headline to this um and I, it's gone out of my head, and it's not on the site anymore, which is the same. But um, but yeah, it's it's very old, isn't it? How it we is. seem to be living in this world. Like I say, I think much of it comes down to wanting to construct our own kind of realities mm. for everybody to look at, and that seems to be taking us to some dark places. And having a fight with with a, with a complete stranger whilst you are on your holidays—that for me is is a sign of a sickness. I think in society, frankly, it seems very strange. It does seem a very modern thing that these. Trevi Fountain people couldn't just have agreed to take a few seconds and let one go before the other to take their photograph. It's, it's also a huge monument, so you'd think there would be enough room for everyone to take a photo. And absolutely. It, it's just part of the ever-increasing selfishness that seems oh, to be Oh, absolutely. I think that's it. Oh, and by the way, I've remembered mm. that headline. It was called La Bolshe Vita, oh, which I thought was excellent. Very so, good. yes, well done, Guardian Sub. One of the great mysteries of life is how some technology hasn't really improved the basic experience and i was thinking despite photography first um oh first being developed mm. oh, oh, oh you mm -hmm. see what i did there oh um, wow absolutely <laughs> about 150 years ago we still uh, to all intents and purposes end up with what they had in the 19th century which is a 2d image of a moment frozen in time albeit now of course in color and finer detail and that's my problem with with, with photos they capture only a a fleeting essence so say you take a photo of a view while you're on holiday and you you just get this flat representation of the panorama before you that it never seems to capture the full experience of the day uh, 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 so of course you don't get the 
I don't know, the aroma of the flowers around you at the time, you don't feel the heat of the sun, you can't hear the birds singing. You can't recapture your mood or your feelings. Um, So photos, I think, are fine, but they can maybe just hint at the moment that you had. They don't actually capture it. People say, oh, I captured that moment on a photo. No, you didn't. You just hinted at it because... um, so I'm I'm all for living the experience rather than photographing it. Yes, and I think I you know as much as I do I genuinely really like taking photographs. Mm. And I went on a weekend away to York recently oh, yeah. and had a lovely time going on a city walk with my my friend in the evening who was sort of showing me various places. And we saw various sort of fancy cars and uh, and and vans and all sorts of things along the route. And I enjoyed taking pictures of them because I really like classic cars and I love taking pictures of them and putting them up. Mm. Um for partly for my own record more than anything else. But I, that part of it is great, but I don't constantly need to take photos throughout and I do find this is why I'm kind of sort of take these jokey selfies where I'm not actually in them because I do find taking the taking of constant selfies to be very self-indulgent I must I must admit, and actually, on a slightly more serious note, mm. we should we should end this on a sort of a we we should <laughs> okay. ought to end this on a cheery note, but this isn't a particularly cheery note. Oh. Says a lot about the sickness in our society around this now. Mm. Well, there is a Wikipedia article or an entry, or however you want to put it. Mm. And it's titled "List of Selfie-Related Injuries and Deaths." Oh, oh no. um, And uh, so, the, the United States Department of Transportation estimated that during 2014, the so-called year of the selfie, mm. isn't that depressing in oh, itself? Yeah. Thirty-three thousand people were injured whilst Good driving God. and using a cell phone in some fashion, which can include um, talking, listening, and what is described as um, manual button slash control actuation, which involves um, taking, uploading downloading, editing or opening of selfies. A 2015 survey by Erie Insurance Group found that 4% of all drivers admitted to taking selfies whilst driving. The Washington Post reported in January 2016 that about half of at least 27 what are described as selfie-related deaths uh, in 2015 had occurred in India. Um... Reports show that from 2014 up to August 2016, there have been at least 54 deaths God. in India while India was taking selfies. Um, the Indian Ministry of Tourism, oh, and this is how sad that we're having to tell mm. people this, asked states to identify and barricade selfie danger areas mm. with its first national attempt to deal with the selfie deaths. Uh, no, uh, no selfie zone, uh, zones um, were also established in certain areas of the Kongmela because organisers feared bottlenecks caused by selfie ta- takers could spark stampedes i mean it's just it's insane maybe phones are making us stupid i don't know but i don't want to live in the world where that where the trevi fountain has to be barricaded because people can't be trusted not to punch each other because they want their photo taken really is extraordinary do musicians have the right to say when and where their music may be played that's next after diana ross
well it's pride weekend down here in hastings unfortunately the main event was somewhat rained off today which is a pity but um there have been lots of events going on i i dj'd a quiz on wednesday I did some djing last night there's a there's things going on this evening or oh, there's a couple of weeks worth of uh, stuff i very much enjoyed bearded eco-conscious drag queen uh, but the bearded environmentalist drag queen timberlina did a show last night and that was excellent so if you're around to see ffs anywhere near you do go and see it he is great lots of catchy sing-along songs about uh, carbon footprints and whatnot but anyway um i thought i'd pick diana i mm. i didn't play i funny enough i had the uh, opportunity to play this and didn't i chose upside down instead from the excellent 1980 lp diana um which vinyl fans i know terence was very dismissive of my love of vinyl <laughs> but uh, vinyl fans mm. either have or or may be aware of the excellent sleeve which is a gatefold sleeve whereby you see the top half of diana and then if you drop it down it's a full length picture of diana across both gatefolds which is excellent so um so that was diana ross from uh from uh diana and it was a a niall rogers number excellent production on that number uh, on that album and that was um coming out i'm coming out I've only been to the Brits Awards a couple of times. I was there in 1998 when John Prescott had a bucket of water thrown over mm. him. In film footage of that, I was about two tables away, and you can see me just on the edge of frame in some of the f- film footage uh, with me sort of like diving backwards, trying to avoid being splashed. But the year before, I also went, 1997. I went because I'd been involved in um, the production of The um, Return of the Mac, the, the Mark oh, Morrison yes, song. Oh, yes, yes. And performing live about 20 feet in front of me, Jamiroquai and Diana, Diana Ross. Ross doing Upside Down. They did Upside Down. It was, it was a good version. I, he came out of it reasonably well for Jamiroquai. It was quite really good. really did. And it, the, the Diana Ross bit, it, I felt I was so sort of overwhelmed. I thought it was, I felt it was like being in the presence of the Queen. Mm, you know? She is She is an all-time greater, mm. though I have to say, I also have a rather more, um, a less flattering memory of her, although it is one of my favourite ever YouTube videos. It's one of my go-to cheer-up things. Mm. Um, they, they they featured I'm Coming Out. She was part a key part of the um, opening ceremony for the World Cup in the USA in 1994. USA 94, that Football World Cup. And there was, a, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it is... It yeah, is, the, the penalty... Yeah. So, so, so she runs while singing, sings mm. this song, and she appears to be singing live. Mm. So she's singing to this backing tape about I'm coming out, so I want the world to know, etc., etc. And attempts to take a penalty, um, which is obviously designed for her to <laughs> her to, to, to score. The goalkeeper seems to be putting up little in the way of opposition, and uh, she kicks it and completely misses the goal. The goal had anticipated, I think, that she was going to score because the goal then explodes or it sort of falls <laughs> in the path. And to be fair to Diana, she runs straight through the middle and she keeps on singing. So uh, whenever I think of I'm coming out, I think of Diana Ross's penalty miss. And um, when we watched the England penalty shootout, the this 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 uh, mm. summer there was lot there were a lot of Diana Ross jokes going on around me so I'm glad that she she's deserves an award for her contribution to footballing banter more than anything else true in the in the UK using pop or rock songs to whip up a crowd at political a political meeting or rally it seems to be a fairly new idea because I don't remember Harold Wilson Edward Heath striding onto a platform to the sound of the the Kinks or Sandy Shaw or whoever in America the use of um, popular songs in political campaigns goes oh, it goes back way 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 back in 1808 the fourth president James Madison he had this tune called Huzzah for Madison Huzzah 
which mm, I mean, that's it's, catchy. It sounds like a real humdinger, even if you don't know the lyrics, doesn't it? It, it sounds like it's going to be a winner. In 1948, Harry S. Truman had "I'm Just Wild About Harry," and since then, um, they've they've rarely worked in the candidate's favour. I have to say, in '68, uh, Tricky Dicky had "Nixon's the One." And in 1980, Ronald Reagan adopted California, Here I Come. Mm. Politicians at the highest level, they often seem so old that... This is true, it's true. That's the trouble, isn't it, that pop songs often seem out of place and it can be excruciating if they try and sway along uh, to the the music. Barack Obama, of course, was a huge exception. He was, he is... Uh, a very cool man, and it's he had true, a fine yes. array of tunes for his uh, presidential campaign, including Stevie Wonder's Sign Seal Delivered, I'm Yours. Um, Donald Trump has had nothing but trouble when picking music for all his mm. rallies. The Rolling Stones were incensed when he used You Can't Always Get What You Want for his presidential well, campaign. Well, the, the inauguration was a disaster as well, wasn't it? They it really literally was. couldn't, find, couldn't anyone find anyone to play. Anyone, yeah. no. And uh, You Can't Always Get You Want seems a peculiar choice anyway, uh, mm. when you think about it. This week... Um, yes, exactly. It's not exactly inspirational. To offer a policy platform, is it? Really? Exactly. Now, this week, uh, Trump he held a rally in Charleston, West Virginia, and he played Aerosmith's "Living on the Edge," which again seems another (laughs) peculiar choice. If anybody is living on the edge at the moment, it really is Donald Trump. Although I have to say, as much as I can't stand the man, Mm. I did. He did actually tweet something which genuinely had some comic value that seemed to be intended earlier this week when right. we've had the we've had the increasing um, mess that Michael Cohen, his lawyer, mm. and he tweeted something along the lines of, "If you're ever looking for legal <laughs> advice, I strongly recommend that you don't use Michael Cohen." And I thought actually that is genuinely really entertaining. <laughs> well, this week after he, he, he used that Aerosmith song, "Living on the Edge," Stephen Tyler of Aerosmith said, and I'm quoting now: "Mr. Trump is creating the false impression that Aerosmith." Smith has given consent for the use of our music and even that we endorse the presidency of Mr Trump, end of quote. So who's right here, Jules? Do musicians have the right to say where and when their music might be played? Yes, I think they do, actually. Mm. Um, I I think it's... Um you know it, 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 you do still have ownership over over music and and i think that you know or sometimes when you when people want to use music that's why we have copyright in place because you have to pay to use somebody's work i think that's that's perfectly that's a good system to have and of course if you're a musician you can decide like if you provide any service in life you can decide who you want to provide that service to or not and if you are not discriminating and of course I, I'm aware as I'm saying those words that we go back to the birthday cake wars that have been going on oh, in yeah. various places but if you um if you if you you know it's your choice as to who you want to provide a service to or not if you don't want your music and I, and I do see Aerosmith's point that if you allow your music to be used by a political party you are effectively saying I am okay with this I'm okay with these people using this music which itself has kind of connotations there's you know you can there's been lots of stories I remember um I remember the massive attack being absolutely incensed that Ian Duncan Smith used Man Next Door as his walk-on speech for his uh, for, uh, at the Conservatives um, uh, conference, annual conference one year for his, for his big speech. And they were really cross that that had been used because, of course, I, pres- I presume their record company had given permission and they hadn't. So uh, also... Keane's music was used um, at uh, at twenty uh, for the Tories manifesto in 2015. Somewhere only we know. And as much as I do like 
Rocky and I was making cheap jokes about them when I was doing stand-up <laughs> at the time by saying that, you know, the drummer was really cross and the single was really cross. And I said, well, you know, let's face it, if I was in Keen, I wouldn't want my music played in public either, heart. So you could, <laughs> you could say that, I'm sorry now, it was a cheap joke, but it did well at the time. Um, I, um, so so I'd maybe, <laughs> I would definitely apply the same to Aerosmith, by the way. But um, no, I, I think if you are, a, if you are an artist and you know you are selling the use of your music i think you are perfectly entitled to say i don't want to do this and actually when my very brief experience of making music i made a a tune with a a friend of mine called bemba a few years Mm. ago called countdown and we signed a songwriting agreement between the two of us and um I remember Bembo saying to me at the time, and it was the first experience I've had, he said, now, he composes for a living, that's most of his kind of practice, and, mm. and he said, you know, obviously, you need to think, when he's selling music, you know, he sells music for a living, that's what he does, mm. so so he says, and he's not always commissioned to do stuff, he sells his music to whoever wants it, but he's, he sat me down and said, right, you need to think carefully, what do you want, because he said, some of the people that he collaborated with, rough using it on anything, you know, whatever, mm. we decided we didn't want want it used by any companies that tested on animals so we decided against using it for Rimmel and stuff and you know I didn't think it was likely it was going to be used for anything to be honest but weirdly but he did write to me a few months ago I don't think it went anywhere but said oh um, Vice have expressed interest uh, Vice the the online website oh, have yeah. expressed interest in using the instrumental version for a documentary about skateboarding are you interested <laughs> in me putting it in and I said okay fine although interestingly I would say no now mm. because of revelations that have oh, come out yeah. about Vice's working practices and particularly how women that work there are treated I would now say no mm. so so I think you can put thought into things as an artist just because you produce music commercially doesn't mean that, that takes away any of your any of your um, entitlement or indeed any of your responsibility to think about how your music is, is used so so mm. no I, I don't see why they shouldn't why they shouldn't have be able to make a choice if you don't want your music to endorse someone it's yours isn't it ultimately and so you still retain copyright in it that's the whole point of the copyright system i'm a bit conflicted about this i've got sort of two conflicting views at the same time because i've got i always have a bit of a worry about any form of censorship as 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 soon as we start saying music can or more specifically can't be played at certain places if certain people are present it all becomes a bit thought police in 1984 and Brave New World. And the next step is authors saying, if you're a Republican or a Conservative, you're not allowed to read my books. Or, or on the other side, if you're a newspaper saying, well, if you follow Jeremy Corbyn or Bernie, Bernie Sanders, then we won't sell you our newspaper. But I can understand, though, this is the conflict for me, I can understand, mm. though, the fury of the musicians, as it really does rather imply that if, for example, tr- Trump plays your record as he meanders onto the stage, it does imply a link, yeah. even if not a full it endorsement. Does. So it, it's does, very it does imply a link. It is hard. And also, again, I go back to all of my things on this, uh, that whenever we talk around Trump or the stuff that's going on in the States <laughs> or indeed politically generally, I, you know, I, I think there's a difference. I do think we're living in dangerous times, and I do think we're living in fascist times so so i you know i'm happy to be robuster on this sort of thing than i would have been previously you know when we, when i saw we were we, we were ha- we had this topic here mm. well i mean we all remember of course d ream and things can only get better yes. with labor in 1997 but i have this memory and I'm, i must admit i haven't checked this this week so i don't know if you oh, could okay. remember this uh but um I'll, I'll check it on google later um 
incredibly excruciating. Tony Blair walking onto the platform at the Labour Party conference about 15 years ago, maybe, mm. to sham 69s if the kids are united. And that oh. must, I think that must be the nadir of all time. Right, that's, not a, that's not a particularly, uh, particularly great look, <laughs> is it? Yes, here we go. I've, I've found it for you. 5th of October 2005. Why did Labour choose... Um, why did Labour choose it, it says... Um, it says the song, um, if the kids are united, they will never be divided. Well, if that wasn't an ironic <laughs> dig at his front bench colleague, Gordon Brown, what was? Um, so I didn't uh, dream it then. That, that, that they re- he really did no, stroll on to ha- Sham 69. The, pre- the previous year, um, uh, the last, it says here, the last year, the musical accompaniment was Fat Boy Slim's dance anthem right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And they, they, um, <laughs> they said, nothing prepared us for Mr. Percy's guttural roar. For once in my life, I've got something to say. I want to say it now, <laughs> for now is today. Oh, which God. is quite a, um, quite mm-hmm. a, quite a tune. Um, they, they, um, yeah, they, they do. I, I have to say, I saw, um, I saw, I've seen one party conference speech at a party conference in the hall, and that was Ed Miliband's 2012 speech, mm. which is his famous sort of one nation speech, mm. which was extremely good, actually. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And, but he went on about sort of one nation and etc. And my memory of that, my overriding memory of that was when he came off the stage, he came off to something fairly something called it was called something like shine and it was some sort of fairly upbeat sort of inoffensive pop song i remember harriet Harmon dancing enthusiastically <laughs> to it and clapping along which is very sweet she looked like ed's mum throughout she looked so proud and he was making that speech mm. i could we could i could look from where i was sitting i could look through and see the shadow cabinet reacting to it which was really interesting but at the end i bumped into a, a union chap i know a little bit called Kamali jandu and you know i'd met i'd only met him a couple of days ago this was the old style labor party where you met people <laughs> once and then he became friends mm. and uh, because you were in labor and so that was your common bond it didn't matter what you thought mm. and, and and i remember i, I saw carmelie and he went oh very nice to see you again blah, blah, blah. and he said wasn't that good one nation and i said yes and he said always oh, like that parliament song at which point nick robinson as in bbc political editor at the time nick robinson walks past and carmelie goes oh nick one nation under a groove <laughs> and nick clearly has no idea what Carmelie <laughs> is going on about at all and walks past looking very confused so my favourite ever heckle of anybody is my friend Carmelie heckling Nick uh, heckling Nick Robinson with One Nation Under a Groove by Parliament remember Kerry McCarthy tweeting at the time that she thought that was going to be the walk off music wouldn't it have been great if that had been the case that would have been a f- far more wiser Best choice, choice I think, yes. Yes, I think so. colouring books for adults and children's <laughs> toys for grown-ups. There are certain people listening to this who I can already feel getting cross even in the intro. Plus, why does Juliet keep a Lego set at her office? That's next after, from 1965, The Toys.
not just a, a tweed link to our final topic. When I saw we were going to discuss toys, it reminded me of this. It's a glorious track, written and produced very much in the Motown style. A, a, a perfect two minutes, 36 seconds of mid-60s girl group joy. Um, I guess I can't believe that that group is, that song is so old, but it is lovely. Absolutely, yeah, 1965. Um Number two on the Billboard Hot 100, mm. number five in the UK, The Toys and a Lover's Concerto. Yet you don't hear it that often nowadays, do you, considering it was such a big hit? That's, that's true. And it, I, it, it's, as I say, it's like a perfect girl group. It's a bit, I suppose, because it wasn't on the Motown label, it may sound mm. a bit like a pastiche, but I still think it's, it's just absolutely Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? If you yeah. think that, you know, you constantly hear Supreme stuff, mm. you know, maybe Chiffon stuff quite often, Renette's there, you know, obviously the Phil to stuff mm. is cast a bit of a shadow, but um, mm. the, but some of it's still played. Yeah, you don't hear that very often at all. I will resolve to try and get a copy of that and play it out in my sets. And a huge hit, of course, as well. So it's not you could one couldn't even say it's too obscure. Top no, ten, absolutely in, not. No, hopefully one. In which case, one would hope one would be able to get a copy of it mm. at an economic rate. Maybe as recently as just about, say, 10 years ago, when parents wanted their young children to be quiet for a while, say, in a restaurant or perhaps at a wedding or a doctor's waiting room, whatever, <laughs> um, the parent would produce a colouring book or even sheets of blank paper and some coloured pens, and the young child would, if it, you know, it was hoped, soon become absorbed in keeping in colouring within the lines and all that sort of thing. I rather think that today's eight-year-olds and under, in fact, would sneer at such an old-fashioned nonsense and reach for their tablets or their smartphones, uh, even at such a tender age, because quite often now, if I'm out for lunch with friends, you'll see at nearby tables parents sitting down uh, when they arrive and dishing out the smartphones or the tablets to the mm. eight-year-olds, getting them amused. Um, similarly, maybe children are now less interested in toys and games that require actual physical efforts such as Meccano or construction sets, they'd much rather be playing Fortnite uh, in their bedrooms. Mm. Maybe, Jules... Look at you and your modern references. Oh, I'm, I'm right up here. I, I'm, I'm on the cutting <laughs> edge of modern life. <laughs> yeah, um, like Donald Trump, he's also living on the edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Maybe I'd be endorsed by uh, Stephen Tyler, though. That could be the difference. Well, that, that would, I think that would be a wiser choice of endorsement for him, but anyway. Maybe, Jules, this is why old-school toy manufacturers are marketing children's toys but for adults yeah absolutely i mean there's a huge debate around this so adult coloring books became as young people say a thing hmm. about three years ago i reckon and they used to be a little bit of a novelty and then all of a sudden i mean waterstones all major retailers other retailers are available hmm. uh, but now uh, smith all sorts of people have huge amounts hmm. of coloring books for adults and they're mostly things called mandalas which are very kind of complicated patterns hmm. or you know wood scenes um that sort of thing you can also get um there's a, a lady called mel elliott that funny enough runs a, a shop in, in st leonard's that has a, a an entity prize called Colour Me Good and she produces colouring books that are often based around famous actors so mm. uh, I bought my friend the Tom Hiddleston adult colouring book for Christmas there's a Benedict Cumberbatch one there's a Taylor Swift one that's quite entertaining this has become a huge thing you can buy magazines um, W.H. Smith will have a shelf of magazines mm. that are sort of colouring patterns for adults um, so there's a lot of talk about as ever millennials are blamed as we are and I say we I'm just about I'm the oldest millennial swinger in town but I'm just about old 
enough to be a millennial. We're constantly blamed for being living in a state of a kind of constant suspended kind of adulthood where we are sort of overgrown children. The millennial argument back, of course, is that we are not living in a world whereby one can afford to own their own home and marry and have children by the age of 23, 24. You know, the housing market is bonkers, speaking of someone that works in it. Um, you know, we don't have, you know, jobs are harder to come by. Good jobs that earn well are harder to come by. There are huge amounts of everyone is funneled off to university where they accrue lots and lots and lots of student debt. Um, yeah, there are, there are lots of sort of reasons around that, which and maybe, you know, maybe sort of colouring books are a part of that. We also seem to be living in a world and it might be that people go, well, what have millennials got to be so anxious about? It's not like they're working down mines, etc. And, and you know, I do, I do take that point. But we do live in a very anxious world. And I think, again, smartphones have something to blame for this, I think. And, and it would seem that, that colouring books are often, for adults, are often used as a sort of a, an anxiety-calming mm, thing. I a must sort of admit. panacea. Absolutely, and whilst I don't necessarily do adult colouring books, although I do have an app on my phone that I, I'm confessing this in the safety of the kind of podcast bunker, um, <laughs> I um, I do have a, a a colouring app on my phone called Unicorn, and um, you can colour little pictures. And I have to say, if I'm having a particularly stressful day at work and I'm having a cup of tea at my desk, I have to say I don't care if this makes me a child. If I've spent all day, you know, dealing with stressed people over their house moves, it is nice to be able to colour in a picture of a cartoon hippo. That does that does really <laughs> genuinely <laughs> cheers me up when I'm having I my cup imagine. of tea for about four or five minutes. No, this does not mean I'm necessarily an overgrown child. I'm able to do this job in a functioning way. You know, that's fine. But sometimes I need to have to colour in a picture of a toadstool on my phone in order to do it and that is that is just where we are but there are a lot of these kind of toys that's and also where i I always have enjoyed playing with things like lego with my friends kids because i have a child for the excuse to do that but it would seem that increasingly have you seen these huge sets that lego do yes i did i saw the um 300 pound lego roller coaster yes that was that was quite something and they do these creator kits so you can build like um my friend bought the taj mahal recently it was david beckham and his children famously did this three thousand piece part sort of lego set of the taj my hole and uh, took them six days to do or something wow. and he was very keen and put a lot lots of pictures in his instagram afterwards so I, I don't know what it is and and i the problem is is that i'm and, and actually i can make a link with anxiety in lego here so as, as you pre-announced as you embarrassed me already by saying <laughs> that i have a box of lego yeah. at work. And, i mean it's for the same reason that i occasionally color in pictures of sandwiches mm. on my phone um i get very anxious sometimes mm. really anxious and my work is really intense i'm not saying that it's the hardest job that anybody's ever done but it is quite hard sometimes and i sit at my desk and I, I'm, I feel like I'm at my desk a lot of the time, frankly. Mm. And and there are days where I, you know, yes, it's always good to go out and get an hour's lunch break. But there are some days where that is frankly not realistic and it will cause more stress than it abated, frankly. So I get my sandwich. And sometimes I find if I've got a particularly knotty problem, if I'm trying to work out, if I'm worried about something, trying to work out what to do about something, I tend to find that building little things out of Lego is helpful for me because it gives my fingers something to do and it gives me a focus of something that, that matters in the moment but doesn't matter long term, if you see what I mean. Mm. So it matters that, you know, I build a that I build a, a, a bulldozer out of Lego in that sort of 10 minutes, but it doesn't matter doesn't make any difference if i build it or not but it's it's nice so one might argue oh well you know these people need to get in the real world um no thanks mm. <laughs> but you know but but i think that 
it just goes to show that we are you know we do have a situation where people perhaps are younger for longer because of you know the way in which society isn't working at the moment our society here in britain isn't working and you know i i actually think i've gone from mocking people that do adult coloring books <laughs> thinking oh do you know on my birthday list i'd really like that mini lego kit you can build a mini uh, oh you can buy a vw van kit as well so so if anybody wants to donate for my birthday uh, do feel free to do that but no it's it's i don't know how i feel if it's just ridiculous i mean for example i've got friends that don't have kids whose birthday whose christmas present to each other was that they pulled their money and bought a lego um millennium falcon that they did together on christmas day and i can't decide if i want to dismiss that if i actually think that's quite sweet really um, how do you as, as, as an older person, how do you feel about this? I think I'd really enjoy that. That's a sort of tactile experience of building a Lego set. I really do. Or looking even further back to my generation, an Airfix aeroplane yes. that used or to... Or Meccano, possibly. Meccano as well. Yeah. yeah, there's something really tempting about the concept of creating something from... Um, for example, the Lego range. It's, it's a bit more. It's a bit like a, a more sophisticated jigsaw, isn't it? Putting something together in a three D environment. And Absolutely, I, yeah. I suspect that for many now who didn't have the chance to play with Lego, I didn't when I was young. It was either through parents not being able to afford it, maybe, or because they just didn't give those sort of gifts, which was my situation. No. Um, then building Lego, I think, in adulthood could be, as you mentioned, rather therapeutic. And I see no problem with it at all. I, who Who's to judge? Who's to say it's childish? I mean, like anything in life, if it is one of those things, if it doesn't harm anyone and you enjoy it, crack on with it. You know, absolutely. If being grown up means not doing innocent stuff you enjoy, then who wants to be grown up? Well, absolutely, I agree. No, well said, and and I I, I believed about that. Thank you, and Mm. and also, I you know, who exactly is this hurting? And someone said the other day, you know, people, you know, all these angry articles in the Telegraph. You can't afford a house because you're buying too many Mm. avocado on toast. Mm. Firstly, that that's not how it works, and secondly my friend said the other day people keep mocking the fact that you that the avocado prints and cartoons on things are now very popular and my friend said how the hell does it harm anybody else in the world if i want a duvet with avocados on it and it's like yeah ultimately exactly. it's true isn't it why is the fact that i occasionally build a house out of lego at my desk between phone conferences harming anybody else particularly the older i get the more i have the philosophy of not giving a hoot about what other people think about what uh, i'm doing as i said it doesn't harm anybody then if you want to uh paint your room with avocados if you want to build <laughs> you know meccano sets if you want to abseil down the side of your house just go ahead and do it who cares in which case i'm buying a scratch card tomorrow and if i win <laughs> if i win some money i will buy you the roller coaster for christmas well when you're not constructing your 300 pound yes, lego <laughs> bulldozer uh, where if you're not doing that this week where might we find you in the following following seven days well, you will hopefully find me on the radio this week, uh, Ooh, August the 29th on the Wednesday, doing uh, on Barricade Radio mm-hmm. as the station, doing Indie Wonderland, Indie Old Rock and Miscellaneous. Um, I, you won't, well, if you're going to see the performance of Motown the Musical in London on Thursday, you might see me there because I'm going as a birthday treat with my mum. Um, uh, but uh, And then after that, on Friday the 31st of August, I will be DJing at the Dragon Bar with my pal Bongo Debbie in Hastings <laughs> on George Street from 8 until 11. Um, and and, uh, and then I'm going on to something called Dub Shuffle, which is on at the Printworks in uh, in Hastings. Then I will be awake to turn to turn over the year for my birthday at one minute past midnight, and then I'm going home. <laughs> oh, blimey. Okay. Well, thanks to you for listening. 
Yes, absolutely. I'm always very much pleased that you're doing that. That's right. And thanks to executive producers Rona and Hilly. Um, I love the lyrics from the track you've chosen to... our closing track today that you've chosen. Um, I love the lyrics. And especially uh, Neil Tennant's delivery of the line, they didn't quite succeed... <laughs> it is it is incredible this tune it really is so and, and another one that is coming from um coming from my my jaunt on the decks for hastings pride on wednesday evening um i i just played as much camp stuff as i could <laughs> and i really did pick this deliberately i knew i had to play as my friend put it the psbs um but this this was my choice because i, I do think neil tennant is such a genius writer this whole tune is positively baroque <laughs> And I do like that very much. Um, we seem to be finishing on Baroque tunes quite a lot at the moment. Baroque pop. Um, but pop, I don't know how to pronounce it, but a Baroque possibly. We were finishing on a lot of Baroque stuff uh, with Like a Prayer last week by Madonna, which is equally as overblown but excellent. And I, I, the thing I, um, I love is that Neil Tennant is very knowingly, I think, um, winking at people mm. that think that gay sex is a sin here. Um, and the opening line to this is, is I think, like you said, the whole lyric is excellent. But um, the the opening salvo is, when I look back upon my life, it is always with a sense of shame. I've always been the one to blame. And you think, oh, people really don't write pop songs anymore, do they? Yeah. If you think about that, it's 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 just immense. It it came out originally in 1987 and um, still sounds absolutely as fresh as a daisy and still still so grand and so dramatic and people literally stand up and take notice within five seconds it turns out so uh, this is, these are the seminal pep shot boys and this is it's a sin
You have been listening to a DAC Media Production.